0: you have your Bible? Open up to Psalm 23. Tonight we are, hard to believe, finishing our walk through Psalm 23. I don't know about you, I have really enjoyed the time diving into this psalm and seeing what it has to have. It's such a familiar psalm, something that we've all known for, a lot of us have known all of our lives, but it also has such incredible deep truth. Just like every part of Scripture, the more you dive into it, the more you find, and you're never able to actually get to the bottom of what the Scripture has to offer. You know, when we look at Psalm 23, a lot of times this is a psalm that you'll see at funerals. This is a time that, a psalm that people read and, and they come to in times of, of mourning, in times where they need comfort. But the reality is, is that while it's a great comfort psalm and a great thing to use at funerals in that type of setting, this psalm has absolutely nothing to do with death and everything to do with life. This is not a psalm that David was writing because he was in a dark place, but because he was walking in the life that the Lord had given him. This is a very celebratory psalm and a psalm that, while it does offer comfort, it is an exciting thing to look into the future of what the Lord has for us and what our shepherd has for us. We read, the Lord is my shepherd, 23 verse 1, and we talked about how the Lord is my shepherd. Those five words make all of the difference for this entire psalm. If you can't say those first five words, then you can't say anything else that is in this psalm. It is only when the Lord is your shepherd that you'll be able to experience what David experienced here. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. The Lord provides everything for me. He lets me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Tonight we're going to finish on verse six and we're going to look at what David is looking forward to. He's talked through what the Lord has provided for him and he now looks to the future and says what is going to be in his life as he comes forward. Even though David did not know what tomorrow would bring, we don't know what tomorrow would bring. David knew that when he was with his shepherd, everything would be all right. This is what David says in Psalm 23, verse six. Only goodness, only faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. That is such an incredibly beautiful way for David to end this psalm. He's able to look ahead with certainty on the life that is to come. He's able to look ahead on what lies before him. And even though he knows bad things are going to happen, even though David knows that hard times are going to come, he's able to look with certainty and say, only goodness, only faithful love are ahead of me all the days of my life. Because ultimately, when you compare goodness of the Lord and the faithful love of the Lord to anything bad in this life, the Bible teaches us that it does not even come close to what is ahead. You know, when we experience death, when we experience hardship in this life, it feels unnatural and we grieve and we, we walk through hard times because death is a lie that was never meant to be told on this earth. It is not the reality that the Lord created any of us for. The sin in our lives brought death to our lives, but it's not natural. It's not something that was ever supposed to happen. And so when David looks ahead and he sees, yes, he knows that he will experience death. He knows he's going to experience hardship, but he's able to say, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. My favorite musical artist is a man named Andrew Peterson. One of his older songs, he has this line in there. In all of the death that ever was, if you set it next to life, I believe it would barely fill a cup. And that's the the reality of what David is even experiencing here. Yes, hard things are coming, but when you compare it to the life and the goodness and the faithful love of the Lord that is before him, only goodness and faithful love are worth mentioning and paying attention to in his future. So I want us to look at two things, and we'll spend a whole lot more time on the first thing. So when we finish the first thing and it's been a little bit, don't worry, the second one's a lot shorter than the first one. I want us to look as David ends this psalm, This is the way that we can look forward in our life as well. The first thing I want us to see is that when the Lord is your shepherd, God's goodness and his love will pursue you. He says their only goodness, only faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. According to David, the only thing in his future were God's goodness and faithful love. And before you dismiss that as a concept that was just true for David because he was David and because he was king of Israel, The Bible teaches that that is true for every single one of us as well, that the Lord has good things for each one of us, and he wants to give it to you. Jesus said these words in the Sermon on the Mount, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And not only did David say that goodness and faithful love were coming after him, he said that they were actively pursuing him. Now, who here has ever been involved in a high-speed police chase? All right, thankfully nobody. But that's the exact picture that we see here. This is the goodness of the Lord and the faithful love of the Lord that is in hot pursuit of every single one of us. This is not something that is just casually sitting by that we might happen to stumble upon, we might happen to find. He says it is pursuing after each one of us. The reality is, is if we take... If we walk 100 miles away from the Lord, when we turn around, his goodness and his faithful love will be right there chasing after us still. You don't have to go and look for it. It is right there chasing after each and every one of us. The Bible says that in Romans 5 verse 8, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is not something that just if you, if you seek after the Lord, if you do all the things that are right, if you do what God tells you to do, that his faithful love and his goodness will be there in your life. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the type of pursuit that he has after each and every one of us. I'm reading through the Bible this year uh, chronologically. I don't typically do it. I, I do it every probably uh, seven, eight, ten, maybe ten years sometimes just because I sometimes struggle with the, uh, the whole not getting to the New Testament until October aspect of it. But uh, I, I did this year, and I'm really, really glad I did, because it has really given me a fresh uh, understanding of the story of Scripture and the constant love that God has shown to His people. You know, a lot of times people look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they think, oh, God is different. God has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But the reality is is that he's the exact same God he was since the beginning. And since the very beginning of time, the Bible teaches us that God has loved and sought after and pursued his people. God giving goodness and his faithful love to David was not something that was just new to David. That is something he has been doing since the beginning of time, pursuing after his creation, his people. And it's something that he still does for each and every one of us tonight. Now, if you're familiar with chronological Bible teaching, you might know the name Stan and Iva May. They're friends of our church, and they've done a lot of Bible teaching with us, and they're going to be doing some more stuff. They're going to be with us on a Wednesday night in the worship center in April, so you'll hear more about that in the days to come, walking through the story of the Bible and helping us understand that God's story, the book here, really is one big story from start to finish, and we're part of that story. But they walk through, you see it in the background there, They have a framework in which they look at 14 eras in Scripture that help you to understand how God has related to his people and revealed himself all throughout time. And as I've walked through the Chronological Bible this year, that has been incredibly fruitful for me to be reminded of the story of how God has continually sought after his people. And we don't have time to to give it any justice. I just want to spend a few minutes walking through these 14 eras and showing you how consistently God's goodness And God's faithful love has been seeking and chasing after, pursuing his people all all the time since the beginning of creation. Now, the first era that they talk about is the creation era. You know, the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says that God created Adam and Eve in an environment that was perfect for them. And that the Bible says that God would walk in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. You know, after they sinned for the first time, that was the noise that they heard. They heard the sound of the Lord walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves because they had sinned and they were ashamed at that point. And how did they recognize that sound except that they've heard that sound before? That must have been a common thing that they were doing. And that's exactly what God created them for in the beginning of creation was to have that relationship with them. He wanted to walk with his people. He wanted to love his people and he wanted his people to love them, him. And the truth is, that Adam and Eve had absolutely everything that they could ever need, but their heart began to believe a lie, and they believed that there was something more for them, something bigger, something greater. And they chose to walk away from the command of God. They sinned, brought the first sin into the world, fracturing the relationship between God and man. And nothing would be the same from that moment. But even then, the Bible says that the Lord would begin pursuing after them immediately, When he was condemning Satan for leading them astray and tempting them into sin, he says this, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He's saying, yes, there is one coming who will take care of this. You are going to strike his heel. You will give him harm for a moment. But he is going to crush your head, a deadly blow. And so we see from the beginning that God, even though his people turned from him, he continued to seek after them and provide a way for them to return to the Lord. The second era that they talk about is the patriarch era. This is where we see the fathers of our faith. Who is the first father of our faith? Abraham. I'm sure many of you have heard his hit song, Father Abraham, Had Many Sons. Some of you know that song. Maybe not everybody. Maybe we should sing that for the special next week, get them familiar with it. Abraham would believe God even when everything in the world around him said don't believe God. Even though he was way too old to have a kid, God said you're gonna have a kid and Abraham believed him. And time after time, Abraham would show his faith. God would say, hey, I want you to pack up, leave everything that you've ever known and go to a land that I'm gonna tell you where it is. Where are we going? Don't worry, I'll tell you when we get there. Abraham packs up and he follows God. And the Bible says that God, blessed Abraham for his obedience. And God gave Abraham a promise. He said, all the nations of the world are gonna be blessed through you. He said, hey, you don't have any son right now. You're gonna have more descendants than you can even count, more than there's sand on the seashore. And through you, through your descendants, the entire world, every nation will be blessed. Now, Abraham had no clue the reality of what was to come. We know from this perspective and this side of the New Testament that the descendant that he was talking about would be Jesus himself. And that this man, who was 100 years old and had no son, would one day, through his lineage, give birth to the Savior of the world. Abraham would have Isaac. Isaac would have Jacob. Jacob would have his name turned to Israel. And God would bless these patriarchs. They would seek after the Lord. They messed up more times than we can count. But the Lord continued to pull them along and lead them and provide for them. Many years have gone by, and God's people end up going to Egypt to uh, survive a famine, a great famine of the day. And they end up living there and multiplying and prospering, and that's where we enter the Exodus era of Scripture. Now, many of you know the, the story of Exodus with Moses leading them out. God's people had been, ended up being slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. But God heard their cry. He never forgot them. The Lord, when he would call Moses to lead the people out in Exodus 3, 7 and following, the Lord would say to Moses, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. Not just to do that, but to bring them from that land to a good and to a spacious land. God would raise up Moses, a leader who would love God's people, and draw them out of slavery. He would rescue them miraculously, save them from Egypt. He would give them his law, say, hey, this is how you're to interact with one another. This is how you are to worship the Lord. This is how you are to live. Follow these ways and things will be good for you. You will be blessed in this life. Even though God rescued his people and gave them a a promise that he was taking them to their land, they continually turned their hearts away from the Lord. And that's where we enter. After 40 years in the wilderness wandering around, we enter what's called the conquest era. Now, I like this one, because I like watching battles. I like the action scenes in the movies. So I don't like the scenes where we walk around for 40 years talking. I like the conquest. We see the conquest where the Lord would deliver his people across the Jordan River, led by Joshua at this point, who was, who was taught and led by Moses. And so now Joshua is leading his people, and the Lord would call him up to be strong and to courageous and to not be afraid, because you see these mighty enemies that you're about to fight, but I am going to fight these battles for you. We see the Lord leading his people across the Jordan River. And once they get across there, he would win every battle for them, such as the Battle of Jericho. You know that song? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Okay. We're going to work on some of your songs. Get you up to speed. That's right. The Lord would lead them into the promised land, into Canaan. And the Bible says that he had established his people. He had brought them out of slavery, and now he had given them his land the land that he had originally promised to Abraham. But as the Israelites finally found themselves in the land that had been promised to them, they had the law that the Lord had given him, but they were not spending time paying attention to to the word. And so the Lord gave them judges. We enter a judges era, where the Lord gave them judges to help them understand what the law was saying and help them know where they were going wrong in the law. But time and time again, They turned. God had given them the roadmap for success and for prosperity. They had everything they needed. But the Bible says over and over again in Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. After time and there, we come to what's called the kingdom era. Now, this would be the glory years for Israel. This would be the time that everybody would remember. This is what everybody was dreaming of and expecting. You see, God's people looked around and they noticed the difference between them and the other people of the nations around them. Every other nation around them had an earthly king, but Israel had no earthly king. Why? Because the Lord was their shepherd. The Lord was the one that was leading them, but they were no longer content in following after the Lord himself. And they wanted an earthly leader that they could follow. So the Bible says, They would call up Saul to be the king and his heart returned from the Lord and his kingdom wouldn't last super long. And then God would raise up David, a man after God's own heart. And the Bible says that God raised up David as leader and the king of Israel for the sake of his people. God looked at his people and he loved his people and he wanted them, they wanted a ruler. So he gave them a ruler and not just any ruler, he gave them David a man who would shepherd them the way that the Lord would want them to be shepherded. Now, David made many mistakes, but the Lord was faithful to him, and the Bible says that these would be the golden years for Israel. They are continuously victorious in battle, and David would have incredible victory and prosperity in the nation. David's son Solomon would take the throne, and things would go to an entirely different level. The Bible says that Solomon would then lead to an incredible level of prosperity that the world had never even seen in a nation. But the wealth and the prosperity and the goodness that they experienced in that land led them to turn their hearts away from the Lord. They no longer believed that they needed to trust in the Lord. The Lord continued to seek after them and have that faithfulness and that goodness, that love seeking after them. But they slowly turned and pulled away from the Lord. The Bible says that because of their sin, because they turned away from the Lord, that the Lord would allow a divide to come into the kingdom. We come into the divided kingdom. Because of their disobedience, God would allow a rift to come into the nation. The Bible says that the northern tribe, the one that broke off of Israel, would experience from then on a continuous line of evil rulers. And the southern nation of Judah would have a couple good rulers here and there, but for the most part, they too were wicked. God's people, through and through, had turned away from the Lord. But God made a promise. God made a promise through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne. And the Levitical priests will never fail to have a man always before me to offer burnt sacrifices and to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. Now, that is something that David did not understand because we know the reality is who is the descendant of David that sits on the throne? Jesus. Who is the great high priest that is always before the Lord making intercession for us? Jesus. So time and time again, as the Old Testament uh, the uh, prophets and as the saints of the Old Testament would continually walk away from the Lord, the Lord would draw them back in continually. He would chase after them and say, I'm sending a redeemer. I'm sending my son. Time and time again, he would make promises and he would deliver on every single one of those promises. But even in this divided kingdom that didn't get their attention, they continued in disobedience and the Lord would allow them to enter into captivity. So they have 70 years here in captivity in which they would be taken away from their land and enter into the land of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar, an evil ruler of an evil nation, an evil people, would come and take over. The Bible says that except for the absolute poorest of the poor, everybody was taken out of Jerusalem and out of Judah. And the land was left completely desolate. I can only imagine what David and Solomon would have thought if they knew that this was coming. They had no clue, they had no way to even imagine or comprehend such an incredible loss for the people of God. But even then, God was faithful and he did not forget them. He said, I will keep my eyes on them in Jeremiah 24, 6 and 7. I will keep my eyes on them for their good and I will return them to this land. I will build them up, I will not demolish them. I will plant them, I will not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord, They will be my people, and I will be their God because they will return to me with all of their heart. So after 70 years, the Bible says that God's people would return to the land. And many of them expected to return to the glory years, but they returned to a land that was broken and desolate and empty. And these people were really struggling to know what they were supposed to do. They were apathetic towards the same things of the Lord. Many of them had probably been born in captivity. They'd been there 70 years. Many of them had been born there. They didn't even know what this land was. They'd heard about it. But to be honest, Babylon was probably a whole lot nicer than Jerusalem was at this point. And they enter back into their land, and they don't know what to do. But the Lord would send faithful prophets, Ezra and Nehemiah, and send people to rebuild the people, to rebuild the wall, to restore worship to Jerusalem. He would send Zerubbabel and would put his spirit in a man named Zerubbabel who would help to rebuild the temple. And restore worship to the land. But after this great anticipation, we're finally back. We enter into an era of silence. For 400 years, the Lord would not deliver another word to his people. For 400 years, even though they had rebuilt the temple and many would seek after him, the Lord was silent and was quiet. Now, if we are honest, a lot of times we know exactly what that feels like. It's not a fun place to be. It's not somewhere we enjoy, but we know what it's like to be seeking the Lord and begging the Lord for something and we hear silence in return. During those 400 years, I can only imagine what those people must have thought, that the Lord had abandoned them, that the Lord had moved on, that he had forgotten his people. But was God still working? Absolutely he was. You know, you look historically and you look at a from a political and geographic perspective, the Greek and the Roman empires were being formed and they would build these roads that would go all throughout the region that would allow one day the spread of the gospel to go incredibly quickly all throughout the region. At the same time, the Lord led many of his people to take the Hebrew Old Testament that we have today, the law and the prophets, and they would translate it into Greek. And that's important. It's called, uh, if you ever heard the words, it's called the Septuagint which means the 70. They took the 12 tribes of, of Israel, and they took six people from each tribe, and they translated from Hebrew into Greek. They had 72 people, but they rounded down and just called it the 70. And they had this new translation of the Bible that would go into Greek. And why was that important? Because after the exile, the Hebrew language greatly diminished. See, in Babylon, that wasn't the language that they were using. As they came back, these people did not use it as a primary language. And over the years, Greek, Aramaic became became the the language of the land. And a lot of these people who lived in exile would be spread throughout the world into Greek and Hellenistic areas, and they would not be in areas that would speak Hebrew, and they would now have access to the Old Testament law. And ultimately, those who would become Greek-speaking believers, the Gentiles, they would have access to the, the Scriptures because during this era of silence, the Lord did lead his people to translate and to preserve the word, and he was faithful to keep it for his people. And after 400 years of silence, the Lord did something that would let all of creation let out the big sigh of relief. And we'd have, after 400 years, we enter into the gospel era. The anticipation of the coming of the Messiah had been building, and they knew this was coming. Some of the last words of the prophets in the Old Testament in Malachi said the the Redeemer, he's coming. The one is coming. He's on his way. That was the last words that they would receive, and for 400 years, silence. And then Jesus would come, not like they expected. He expected they expected him to come on a sword with, a, with a, an army behind him, and on a chariot riding horses and leading the battle into Israel and reclaiming the ground. But he came in the most humble of all conditions as a baby. And the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament was pointing to this very moment. From the beginning of creation that we see there, the Bible says that God was seeking after his people and providing them a promise that there would be a way to return to him. And we saw that through the gospel. We then entered to the church era where God would form his church as we have it today. And he would encourage them to come together and to build each other up and to encourage one another as we go on in the life that the Lord has called us. The church would then send out through the missions era. And this is where we are today. This is the era of scripture that we live in today. God is still pursuing after his people, but this is where it actually gets exciting because while God has always had his goodness and his faithful love pursuing after his people, in the missions era, God has now named us as ambassadors of his goodness and of his love, and he is sending us out on his behalf to the entire world. The early church would spread all across the world. and would reach people with the gospel and turn the entire world upside down. And like Sam was talking about the people in this world that do not know the truth of Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility, not just our responsibility, but our opportunity to take the gospel to them. We have the opportunity, the incredible privilege, to be ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in charge of this whole thing, I probably wouldn't pick us to take the message. I would pick the angels. I would, I would do some other way. I would put a big old banner in the sky. I would do something to make sure people have the opportunity here. But the Lord chose us. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 10 and following about the, the, the majesty and the mystery of the gospel that we have the opportunity to take part in. 1 Peter 1, 10 says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you, they searched and they carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, something that the angels even long to glimpse at. What does that mean? I like to think about it this way. The Old Testament prophets say the Lord would speak to them and imagine putting together a puzzle, but you don't have the picture on the front. And not only do you not have the picture on the front, but you only have a couple pieces. And so they're holding up these pieces of this puzzle and they don't even know, do these pieces go together? What picture am I trying to make? And they were carefully searching and investigating and at the end of their lives, they realized that this was not something for them to know. This was something that they were given for another generation. So they would pass on the message that the Lord had given them and a new generation of prophets would come and they would get a couple more puzzle pieces and every once in a while he'd find a corner piece or two pieces that go together and they would start to catch glimpses of what was to come. You see it in Isaiah 53. You see it in all parts of the Old Testament where you see these very clear glimpses of part of what the Lord is doing. But even then, they did not fully comprehend what was coming. And they longed to see it, but the Bible says that it was us that has the opportunity to share it. And the Bible says that even their angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. But it's not for them. It's for us. And now that we are in the missions era of Scripture, we have the opportunity to take God's love and his faithful love and his goodness and pursue the world with it. The Lord allows us to be representatives of the one and the ones that pursue his people. And then the last era they speak of is the end and the new beginning. This is what we are all looking forward to. The end of this day, the end of the sinful world, the broken world. And everything being made new. This is when Jesus comes back and reclaims his people, and we all go to get to be with him forever. And this is not just Jesus making things good, this is Jesus restoring things to what they were meant to be. This is when all the untrue things become undone, and life is able to be completely unhindered. Death will no longer be a thing that we have to deal with. So we see all throughout Scripture from the beginning of creation all the way to still what's to come, the entire story of Scripture is all about God seeking after his people, pursuing his people with his love and his faithfulness and his goodness. David was able to say that. And you can say the same. Why? Because since the beginning of time, God has pursued his people, and he's pursuing each one of us today. This was David's testimony. I have been young and now I am old. I have never seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. The Lord is who he was at the beginning of time. And when he said he is going to redeem us and rescue us, he is going to redeem and rescue us. And everything that he said will come true. And his goodness and his faithful love will pursue you. It is going to chase after you all the days of your life. Secondly, not only do God's love and goodness pursue us, but we will get to live with God forever. When you ask us what's in our future as followers of Jesus Christ, as sheeps of the good shepherd, what is it that lays before us? The ability to live with God forever. The Bible says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. You know, for David, being with God and being around his people was absolutely top priority for him. The Bible described David, like we talk about, as a man after God's own heart. And God, David had a desperate love for the Lord. The Bible says David would write these words in Psalm 27, 4. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It's what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord, seeking him in his temple. That was David's heart, and that is all David wanted. And here he says that I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. He was asking for the Lord for it, but he was also proclaiming it here, that this is my future, this is what I get to experience. When I was in eighth grade, I felt a call, first felt a call to, to work in ministry and to, to seek the Lord in that way. And the Lord did it through a single verse in Psalm, Psalm 84, verse 10. And it says this, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than to live in the tents Of wicked people. What does the psalmist say there? Hey, just one moment, one day in God's house is better than a thousand anywhere else. Anywhere, nothing in this world could provide anything in a thousand days what the Lord can provide in one. And I would rather be a servant, a doorkeeper, standing and working in the house of my God than living lavishly in the tents and dwelling in the tents of the wicked. And the truth is, we have a whole lot to look forward to one day when we get to heaven. We talked about Hannah's grandmother going to be with the Lord very soon. She has a whole lot to be looking forward to. You know, as Christians, we need to do a better job of talking about people that go to be with the Lord. You know, we, we feel sorry for them. We feel sad and we mope sometimes. And while there's absolutely a time to grieve, the reality is, is that we should be saying good for them. They lived the life that the Lord had for them and they are now getting their reward. The Bible says that this is to come for each one of us who follow Jesus. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. I don't like summer, so I'm looking forward to that part. For the lamb who is at the center of the throne, he will shepherd them. He will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of the water of life. Doesn't that sound like Psalm 23 to you? The shepherd, the lamb will shepherd us. He will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The reality is that is what we have to look forward to. And that is exactly what David was looking forward to, that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But that's not all David was looking forward to. He wasn't just looking ahead and saying, one day I'm going to get there. David knew that he could experience it right here on this earth. And every day that David walked, he walked with his shepherd and the Lord led him every single day. He wasn't willing to wait till he got to heaven to walk and be in the house of the Lord. He wanted it now. I know so often we look forward to what the Lord is going to do that we miss what he is currently doing in our lives. This verse in uh, Genesis 28 is, almost, is really a haunting verse for me when I, when, I, when I read it. This is Jacob. He's running away after he stole the blessing from Esau, and he's going away to make sure he's not attacked by his brother. And in the night he's sleeping, and the Lord gives him a vision. And the Bible says that when Jacob woke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid. He said, What an awesome place this is. There is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The question is, how often are we walking through life and people would say of us, God is in this place, and he didn't even know it. I don't want to live my life not being aware of the presence of God in my life every single day. Even when he calls me to do something uncomfortable, even when he calls me to do something I don't want to do, even when he gives me opportunity to do great things, whatever it is, I want to be fully aware of what the Lord is doing and be part of it. I don't want to miss what God is doing right now in sole anticipation of what the Lord is going to do one day. The Lord was David's shepherd. Is he your shepherd? Do you experience these things that he he talks about? And the reality is we're not going to experience them perfectly every single day because he is a perfect shepherd, but we are far from the perfect sheep. We experience, we we cause hardship on ourselves, and we walk and we stray. But when the Lord is our shepherd, you will have what you need. When the Lord is your shepherd, he will let you lie down in green pastures. He will lead you beside quiet waters. He will renew your life. He will lead you along the right path for his name's sake. And when the Lord is your shepherd, even when you go through the darkest valley, you will not have to fear because God is with you. His rod and his staff, they will comfort you. The Lord himself will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He will anoint your head with oil. He will honor you. Your cup, it's going to overflow. Only goodness and only faithful love will pursue you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as you live. I don't know about you, but that's what I want for my life. I'm not there every day, but the Lord is there every day. And every day that we are faithful to come to Him, He is faithful to be there, chasing after us, pursuing us every single day of our life. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for Psalm 23 and the words that you inspired through David. Lord, these many thousands of years later, they still ring true to our hearts. And Lord, that is something that in this world, there seems to be a lot of things missing at times in our lives. And Lord, when we read Psalm 23, it just feels like that's the way things are supposed to be. And Lord, we know because that's how you designed us and that's what you created us for. And this world has stolen so much of that from us. We thank you for the work that you did through Jesus Christ on the cross, Lord, that you sent your Son to save us and that you so faithfully, from the beginning of creation all the way to today and the time that is to come, have sought after your people, pursued us with your love. I pray that we would submit to you as our shepherd, that the Lord would be our shepherd, that you provide everything we need, and that we would walk with you and dwell in your house every day of our lives. Dwell in your presence, just sit at your feet and to be with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.